All right, let's, uh, let's go to Revelation chapter 11 this morning. Now, we are uh, in the middle of an interlude. We're in an interlude here between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. Now, if you remember in our study from last week, John saw a mighty angel, and uh, he had a book in his hand. And John heard seven peals of thunder, but uh, normally he's supposed to write down what he sees and what he hears, but this time he does not. He's commanded not to write. And then the angel lifts his hand up to heaven, and he swears by God's throne, and he says there will be no more delay, time, uh, time no more in the King James. Then John takes the book from the angel and he becomes a participant in the action. It's kind of a different, different setting, a different scene. Then he's uh, commanded to take the book out of the, the, out of the angel's hand and eat it. And in his mouth it would be sweet, but in his belly it would be what? Be bitter. It's full of woes. Then he is recommissioned to prophesy. He said you must uh, prophesy before many uh, before kings and peoples and tongues and so forth. So that brings us to chapter uh, 11. And I had initially planned to go through the whole chapter today. And the Lord stopped me. So you might get a real short sermon today. I know some of you were hoping for that anyway. But um, did somebody shout? I thought somebody said glory to God. The Lord just wants me to go with verse, the first two verses. Okay. Next week, God willing, God willing, if the trumpet don't sound before then, we're going to go through the rest of the chapter. We'll talk about the two witnesses. And then that following Wednesday, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, we will uh, discuss the identity of the two witnesses and their time, the time of their ministry. All right, so let's stand, get the blood flowing again. <clears throat> Only got two verses of scripture that we're going to read. And then I'm going to ask Preacher Larry to pray for us and uh, pray that God would open our hearts and our minds. Revelation 11, verse 1. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple. And do not measure it, for it has been given, I'll emphasize that word given there, to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. This is God's holy word. Our Heavenly Father, help us. Now there's four temples in Israel's history. Uh, it's kind of odd now because we've... we've we're seeing a temple on the earth. Now, when John wrote this, was there a temple on the earth? No. I think it's interesting that Daniel and John both saw temples when there was no temple. I think that's, that's fascinating to me. So what do we do with that? Well, we can allegorize it. That's what a lot of people do. A lot of people have got what I call old McDonald theology. They see the church in everything. They, and they say that this temple is the church. You know what old McDonald theology is? 
here at church. Old McDonald had a church. Here at church, there it's the church. Everywhere's the church, church. But this is not the church, guys. This is the temple of God. Now, there's four temples in Israel, Israel's history. Number one is the Solomonic Temple. Solomon built it. It was destroyed in 586 B.C. Uh, pop quiz, who destroyed, who led the destruction of the temple? He was the king of Babylon. His name, his name rhymes with Rebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar. All right. For 70 years, they were without a temple. Then Zerubbabel uh, builds the second temple. And Herod improves upon it. Um, go with me to John chapter 2, Gospel of John. Gospel of John chapter 2. And uh, verse 20. I tell you what, Adam, would you read uh, verses 18 through 21? So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us and since you do not do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple and I... And in three days I will rise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple and his, of his body. All right, thank you. So Herod renovated Zerubbabel's temple, and it took how many years? 46 years. It was destroyed too. Jesus predicted that. Go with me to Matthew chapter 24. Zerubbabel's temple or Herod's temple is the one that Jesus ministered in. It's the one he walked in. Matthew 24. Adam, would you read the first two verses? Yes, sir. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings in the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon the another and shall not be thrown down. And that happened in 70 A.D., just as Jesus predicted, there was not one brick, not one stone left upon another. When prophecy is fulfilled, it is fulfilled precisely and literally. Okay? So go with me now to Ezekiel chapter 40. 
I'm skipping over the, the third temple. We're going to come back to it. Ezekiel 40 is the millennial temple. And guess who's going to build that one? The Messiah. That's the fourth temple. Ezekiel chapter 40. And Adam, if you'd read verses 1 through 4. In the 25th year of his captivity, at, at our captivity, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year, after the city was captured, on the very same day, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he took me there. In the visions of God, he took me into the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain, and on, on it towards the south was something like a structure of a city. He took me there, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze, and he had a line of flax and a measuring rod in his hand, and he stood in the gateway. And the man said to me, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and fix your mind on everything I show you. For you were brought here so that I might show them to you. Declare the house of Israel everything now that you see. There's a parallel. John is told to measure the temple. And now the angel is showing Ezekiel, and he's measuring the millennial temple. This is going to be a real temple, folks. And uh, uh, chapters 40 through 48 go through all the dimensions of that, that, uh, that millennial temple. It's, it's going to be huge, and it's going to be glorious. Temple 1, Temple 2, and Temple 4 are all literal, physical temples. They're not symbolic. They had brick and mortar pardon the expression stones they were literal the third temple this is the one that John sees the third temple is going to be a literal temple now we have to preach this by faith don't we because right now is there a temple in Israel no there's not a temple in Israel but I believe as surely as I'm standing here that God's word is true and there's going to be a third temple and you just sit tight I'm going to show you something that's going to bless your socks off here in a minute you ready for that? Okay. I'm teasing you with it. I'm not there yet. Let's talk about this third temple. The Bible predicts a third temple. All right, so let's go to Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, and we're going we're gonna to look a lot at Daniel in the next few weeks. And we spent quite a while going through the book of Daniel, but I promise you it's going to pay dividends if you were paying attention. If not... You can go back on YouTube and watch all the, the sermons. All of them is on, are on YouTube for you to watch. Daniel chapter 9. Now Daniel and Ezekiel were contemporaries. They both received their revelations while the Jews were in exile. Daniel chapter 9 is that famous 70-week prophecy given to him by the angel Gabriel. And before we're done, you guys will probably be able to quote this passage by heart from memory. Adam, would you do me the honors? I'm, I'm going to work you out today, brother. 
You got your coat off, you're ready to go. <laughs> All right, Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for the holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the holy place, most holy place. Now, therefore, and understand that from the going forth and the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, and the street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, and till the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. All right. So 69 of those weeks have been fulfilled. How do we know the, the tribulation lasts uh, seven years? Because there's one week left, seven years, where the Antichrist is going to uh, do his, uh, his terrible work. Now, do you see... In verse uh, 26, it talks about the people that are coming, and they're going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. Do you see that? When Daniel received that vision, there was no city and there was no sanctuary. It had been destroyed. That's temple number two. You see that? But then in verse 27, we see temple number three. That temple's going to be destroyed, but then there's going to be one final period of time, seven years. And notice he says he, that's Antichrist, is going to confirm a covenant for one week. And in the what time? The middle of the week. He's going to bring an end to what? Say it out loud. He's going to bring an end to what? Sacrifice. Well, if there's sacrifice, that means there's got to be what? A temple, a future temple. Go with me to Matthew 24 now. Now that second temple was defiled in about the second century B.C. by a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. And he, he sacrificed a pig on the altar, put, put up an idol of Zeus. And the Maccabeans cleansed the temple. That's why the Jews celebrate Hanukkah uh, every year. Matthew 24. Adam, you want to read verse 15 for me? Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads this, let him understand. I love that the Holy Spirit says, read it and understand it. God expects us not to be in the dark. He expects us to know what's going on. Amen? Jesus referred to what Daniel predicted. 
in Daniel 9, 27. The abomination in the middle of the week. And that's where we are in the book of Revelation, guys. We're at that midpoint of the tribulation period and the Antichrist is about to break his covenant with Israel and he's going to put a stop to the grain offering and the blood sacrifices. All right. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. That's going to be important in our study next week. God confirms things by two or three witnesses. We've already got two witnesses, and that's all we need. We've got Daniel and Jesus that says there's going to be a rebuilt temple. But how about a third witness? Would you like a third witness? Go with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to call Paul to the witness stand. And I'm amazed at all the commentaries I read that say there's not going to be a temple. It's just a church. It's just symbolic. The Dome of the Rock is there. It'll never happen. How big is our God? My God's a lot bigger than the Dome of the Rock. I'm not worried about that. Now, how's it going to happen? I wouldn't, I wouldn't begin to tell you. I don't know. But God says it, and that settles it. Thank you. 2 Thessalonians 2. Adam, as you read 1 through 4. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed and the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He sits where? In the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, don't let those first few verses trip you up. You understand that 2 Thessalonians was written because somebody had written a forged letter to them saying that they were in the tribulation period. And Paul is saying, look, guys, you're not in the tribulation period because if you were, the Antichrist would be here. There's no temple there's no Antichrist, therefore we're not in the tribulation period. Amen? All right, thank you for that one person that said amen. Praise God. <laughs> Takes courage to be a Lone Ranger. Yes. Yeah. Revelation is the last book of the Bible, last written about around 95 AD. And by that time, there was no temple. So John's re seeing... And speaking all these things by faith, too. A good question. All right, there are other temples in Scripture, and uh, we sang about some of those this morning. Uh, the body of Jesus. Adam read that earlier. He said, destroy this temple. He's talking about his body. And in three days, I'll raise it up again. Go with me now to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There are some temples in the Bible that are not brick and mortar. Jesus' body is one. Guess what else is a temple? Your body, if you're a Christian. All right. Adam, you want to read uh, 1 Corinthians six nineteen? Uh, 
Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have from God and who you are not of your own? So your body is the temple. And Paul's making an appeal here for uh, holiness and righteousness. You and I need to live holy because right now in this dispensation, God's not dwelling in a brick and mortar temple. He's dwelling in our bodies. So wherever we go, we're taking Jesus with us. Whatever we see, he sees. Whatever we hear, he hears. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Whatever we speak, we're making him a part of. Now let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians 3. So uh, Christ's body is a temple. The believer's body is a temple. The church corporately is a temple. Now, I'm not talking about this steeple and the stained glass windows. I'm talking about the people that are sitting in here today. You and I are the church. A tornado could come through and destroy this place. God forbid. hope it never happens. But even if it did, there would still be a church here. Because we're the church. 1 Corinthians 3.16. I think Adam's probably got a New King James or a King James... Read it out of your translation, and then we'll read it off of here, too. Uh, yes. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the spirit of the God who dwells in you? Okay. It's not clear in some English translations, but the you here is plural. And the New Living Translation tried to capture that. Um, Adam, would you read that off the board? Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Corporately. The church is the temple of God. So we need to be careful how we treat one another. Amen? That means we don't gossip about one another. We don't condemn one another. We don't abuse and insult one another. We don't steal from one another. We love each other. Amen? All right. Is there going to be a temple in Israel? A third temple built? One person said it with not much conviction. <laughs> yes, that's better. One more time with feeling. Yes, there's going to be a temple. I'm going to direct you. Don't go there now. And I know because I just told you not to, some of you are going to do it. The Temple Institute. Org. There is a group of people. They've been they've been at this for a long time. How many of you have been to Israel in here? How many of you are familiar with the Temple Institute? Okay. Adam, you want to preach this for me? <laughs> okay. All right. They are committed to rebuilding the Third Temple. From what I understand. They have all the furnishings that are needed. What you see here is a golden menorah uh, donated by some Ukrainian Jews. By the way, the gold was donated. That menorah weighs uh, half a ton, 45 kilograms of 24-karat gold. Anybody want to take a guess how much it's worth? Three million. Three million dollars. That 
menorah is ready to be placed in that third temple. Right now, it's ready. Now, um, there is a growing desire in the nation of Israel to offer uh, sacrifices again, animal sacrifices. Now, from the folks at the Temple Institute, I have this on a good authority. I am told that within four hours, they've got a replica of the tabernacle of Moses, not the temple, but the tabernacle. And they can have that functioning within four hours. And that would fulfill the law of Moses. Look with me in Ezra, chapter 3. Now, Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, uh, Joshua, the high priest, they were charged with rebuilding the temple after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the sanctuary in the city. If you want to read about this time period, you read uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, Zechariah, and Haggai. And they all talk about this time period. The second temple is being... Uh, now, when they first got back to Babylon, there was some back to Israel, there was some enthusiasm, and then the whole thing kind of floundered. You know, that happens sometimes. But God sent Zechariah to encourage them to continue building the temple, and it, it's a great story. Um, Adam, would you read 1 through 3 of that chapter? Ezra 3, 1 through 3. And when the seventh month had come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man in Jerusalem. Then Jesaiah, the son of Josedach, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, and his brethren, arose and built the altar of God of Israel to the offer burnt offerings on it. And as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God, though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set the altar on its bases, and they offered the burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening burnt offerings. All right. So what I want you to see here is before the temple was even completed, they had an altar. The main thing is the altar, the altar of sacrifice. They can use the tabernacle of Moses. They were offering sacrifices on that altar before the temple was completed. There is a growing sentiment in Israel that this needs to happen. And if it happens, folks, I would say don't buy any green bananas. Uh, that doesn't mean that the rapture is going to happen. It doesn't mean that we're in the tribulation. The tribulation doesn't start until the covenant is signed. But when you see that temple under construction, and we may be here to see it, you're going to know time is short, folks. Time is short. Now, there's a big problem, isn't there? You see it up on the screen? What's the problem? Dome of the rock. Who controls that? Muslims. How many of you are familiar with the Six-Day War? Some of you remember. Some of you were alive during that time. I wasn't. Just spring chicken here myself. But, uh. Some of you were alive. 
The six-day war was a miracle. Jerusalem was greatly outnumbered by their four uh, Arab neighbors that wanted to destroy them. And the doom was so bad that they had declared the national parks to be cemeteries. They had already designated the national parks to be cemeteries. But in a miracle, in six days, Israel regained control of Jerusalem. If you want to believe, you don't want to believe there's a God in heaven, look at Israel. They became a state in 1948 after being scattered for 1,900 years. And now they, they have control of Jerusalem. But a curious thing happened. There's a guy named Moshe Dion. Anybody remember him? Moshe Dion. Thank you. Wouldn't be the first time I butchered a Hebrew name or an English name for that matter. Instead of uh, keeping control of the Temple Mount, he turned it over to the Muslims. Now, there's a lot of reasons why he did it. There's not any one reason other than the sovereignty of God. It, made, it makes no sense in the natural that they captured their most holy site and Moshe Diane or Dion, if you're from Marshall, uh, turned it over to the Muslims. You know why? Because it wasn't time yet. It wasn't time yet. But there will come a time, only God knows when. No man knows the day or the hour, right? We're not predicting dates. We're not date setting. I'm telling you to keep your eyes on the peace process in the Middle East. Keep your eyes on Russia. This thing with Ukraine and Russia is the hand of God. Ezekiel 38 is going to be fulfilled at some point, whether before the rapture or after the rapture, I have no clue. But at some point, Russia will invade Israel. That is in the word of God. And it will not be for religious purposes. It will be for economic purposes. And if you look at Russia's economy, economy right now, it's not hard to understand why they might be motivated to do such a thing. There's tremendous oil reserves in Israel, natural gas they've, dis they've discovered. Um, so how can these things happen when the Muslims uh, control the Dome of the Rock? Honestly, I don't know. But there are some, even with the Temple Institute, that say that where the Dome of the Rock is might not be the actual site of the temple, where Solomon's temple was. That they might be, there might be room on that Temple Mount to have those two structures side by side, the Dome of the Rock and the temple. Now, the Arab world, the Muslim world, is not going to be happy about this. They're not. Revelation 6-2 might be your answer. Daniel 9-27 might be your answer. Remember the first rider that comes in, uh, he comes on a white horse and he promises peace. That peace treaty may be what gives the Jews the, uh, the ability to rebuild their temple side by side or where the Dome of the Rock is. It would suit me just fine if God would just destroy that Dome of the Rock. I, I, it wouldn't break my heart any because <laughs> there are squatters there. They're, they're usurpers. They're not, that's not, that doesn't belong to the Muslims. That belongs to God's people. All right? That's not popular. And don't be talking about Palestinian. That's not a biblical term either. The Arab neighbors, uh, 
Now, I'm not saying there's not Christians. Uh, there's not good people in the Arab world. Listen to me. This is my soapbox here, too. There are good people in Russia. There's Christians in Russia. Our government and our media is making Russia out to be the devil and Ukraine out to be the Messiah and Zelensky to be a Messiah. And I'm going to tell you what, Zelensky is not a good guy. He's not. He's persecuted his own people, Christians in his country. Now, there are godly Ukrainian people. There are godly Russian people. Do you know the average Russian person doesn't support Vladimir Putin? I mean, even his own army doesn't support him. They're, they're turning. So, you know, don't be swayed by the propaganda. But understand this, that God is in control. He's sovereign over everything that's happening in our world. But keep your eyes on it, on Russia, on the Middle East, and this growing sentiment to offer the animal sacrifices. It's going to happen, folks. It is going to happen. Now, the thing is, when John sees this, the angel says, I want you to go and measure the temple of God. I want you to measure the temple of God. Go with me back to Revelation 11. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put forth an idea. You, you don't have to agree with it. But I think that this temple is rebuilt not because they're worshiping the Lord Jesus, but out of nationalistic pride. And I'll show you why I believe that. Are you in Revelation 11? You are, but I'm not. But I'm close. All right. Now, the two witnesses are going to be killed. And I'll go ahead and tell you when I think it happens. I think they're killed at the midpoint of the tribulation. That's when the Antichrist is going to be able to come in and do his thing. They're, going, they're immortal until they're killed. And uh, that, that's, a, that's an interesting thing. But they're killed. But notice what it says. Um, Verse 7 and 8. Adam, would you read that? When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Oh, my. Where was our Lord crucified? Jerusalem, right? So what is the spiritual condition of Jerusalem at this point? They're like Sodom and Egypt. So that tells me that this temple is built out of nationalistic pride. They're not, they're not, their hearts are not right with Jesus yet, but they will be. So it's built out of pride. So, so why then, if it's not honoring Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah... Why does God still call it the temple of God? Notice Paul called it the temple of God in 2 Thessalonians. And uh, the angel tells John it's the temple of God. Go with me to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. It just infuriates me that people preach replacement theology, this idea that the church has replaced Israel. And they'll use Paul as proof. Um, 
to do it. They'll, they call themselves covenant theologians. These are the guys that see the church everywhere. And by the way, that's most denominations other than the Baptist. Sorry to say. I'm not saying that we're the only ones going to heaven. You, get, you understand what I'm saying here. But I'm saying most of our mainline denominations, they don't understand that God has a plan for his people, the Jews. Why does it matter? Well, it matters because God promised Abraham he was going to inherit that land, and Abraham hasn't inherited it yet. He didn't. But he's going to. And if God keeps his promise to Abraham, that means he's going to keep his promise to me and to you. That's why it's not a trivial issue. This is the integrity of God, my friend. God does not lie. Romans 11. Adam, you're doing such a fine job this morning. Would you read verses 25? Just read the rest of the chapter. Just 25 through the rest of the chapter. Need a drink of water? Okay, you're good. <laughs> For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, that is, as it is written. The deliverer will come out of the Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts of the, and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through the, their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you that they may also obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. On the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has given him to, given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him, through him, and to him, all things to him be glory forever. Amen. The Jews are in blindness right now, because God has determined them to be so. And thank God that they are in blindness right now because their blindness has led to our salvation. Every Jew ought to be, every Gentile ought to be grateful that God put the Jewish people in blindness right now. Every Gentile ought to be grateful. Blindness of the Gentile, blindness has come to Israel until, you see that big word until? Until the church age is over. And when that church age is over, God's going to deal with Israel. It's the 70th week. God owes them 70 weeks. 69 of them have been fulfilled. One more to go, and God's going to keep his calendar. He's keeping his appointment with them. Notice in verse 27, it's on the basis of what? For this is my covenant. It's a strong word. Now, it says concerning the gospel, they're enemies. Right now, they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, and so they fight. They're fighting the gospel. But they are elect for the sake of who? The fathers. Who are the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
God made a promise to these three men. He is going to keep his word to those three men. God loves them. He's never changed his mind about the Jewish people. You and I are a part of the body of Christ, and, and we are going to sit together one day with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. Amen. Dear Lord, and Daniel, and Noah, and all the great heroes of the faith. <laughs> Notice that it says uh, in verse 29, we always apply this to ourselves. It's actually to Israel. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God has not changed his mind about Israel, but here's the good news. God's not going to change his mind about you and me either. Glory to God. Hallelujah. That's why when you read about Israel and God's just holding his hands out to them and saying, I'm, I'm waiting, you're stubborn, you're rebellious, but I'm going to stay true to my promise. That's why you ought to get excited because you and me, we have some bad days, amen? Some bad weeks, months, years. But if God's called you and saved you by his grace, his gifts and his calling to you, just like the nation of Israel, are irrevocable. He doesn't change his mind about you. Somebody needed to hear that today. So where does that leave us? Remember, the last part of our text today says to leave out. Remember in Revelation, God told John to measure the temple and the altar and those that worship. You know, God's not just measuring the temple. He's measuring the worship of the people. God doesn't just look at what we do. He looks at why we do it. The motive of the heart. But he says there's a part that I want you to leave out. Let's read that again. Adam, would you read it again? Uh, Revelation eleven two. 2. And God specifically tells John, don't measure this part. That's all right. It's the last book of the Bible. That's where Revelation. <laughs> okay, sorry. I may have said it wrong. I do get tongue twisted every once in a while. Yeah. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it. For it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. All right. This tells me, too, that the church is not on earth at this point. Because right now the church is made up of Jew and Gentile. There's no ethnic distinction. There's three groups. There's the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church of God. The body of Christ is made up of Jew and Gentile. So the fact that there's a dichotomy here tells me that the church is not on the earth. That temple is not the church. Amen? Amen. Right? Because God accepts me and you just like he does the Jewish people. But he says, don't measure it. Leave it out. This shows God's favor on the Jewish people again. And the Gentiles are not in a favored position. They are now. Would you agree? Right now, we're in a favored position. But this shows you that that's going to change. That's why John is told, don't measure that. It's actually stronger in the Greek. It means cast it out. And that holy city, which is what? Jerusalem. Has been given, the Bible says, it shows that God's in control. It's not just happening. Happening, 
It's, it's under sovereign control. It is given unto the Gentiles, and they will trample it underfoot for how long? 42 months, three and a half years, 1260 days, a time, times, and half a time. Folks, this thing, God's got this thing completely under control. Not a day more, not a day less, right? You know, this is one other proof that I know that the, that the church ain't going through the tribulation period because we don't know the day and the hour of the rapture, amen? But if you've got, you got a calendar, you can figure out exactly when Jesus is coming the second time. Don't look at me that way. 1,260 days. From the time that abomination to desolation is set up, you can mark it down. Hey, am I preaching the heresy or the truth here? It's the truth. Now, why did God do it that way? Why did he tell them? Well, I believe these Jews are going to be under such terrible persecution during this time that every single day they're going to say, you know what, there's only X amount of days left and then Messiah's coming. And I can only imagine when they get down that calendar... How many of you put the X's on your calendar? That's, I do that. You know. And Brother Richard came in my office one time because I, I mark my calendar sometimes with a rip in. And Richard said, last time I saw somebody, saw somebody marking a calendar like that is when a soldier was going off to war. <laughs> he said, you like you're, you're, uh, you're ready for this to be over with. I said, no, it just helps me to keep track of where I am. You know, I don't wanna, I'm not looking in the past. I'm marking it off. But they'll be able to look at their calendars and say, guess what, guys? Only 300 more days and Messiah will be here. Only 200 more days and Yeshua will be here. Right? That's why God did it that, that way, to encourage them. The times of the Gentiles, uh, Luke 21, 24, Jesus said that Jerusalem, would you read that for me off of there, Adam? And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down on the Gentiles, of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Same thing that the angel told John, right? Don't measure it. It's given unto the Gentiles. And they're going to do what? They're going to trod the holy city for 42 months. This thing fits together like a jigsaw puzzle, you know? And it's not rocket science. Even a, a, an, an imbecile like me can understand it. So there's hope for all of you guys, if I can understand this. We've already seen, now when does the Gentiles, times of the Gentiles, you see this little statue here, it's not, well, it's kind of hard to see it. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream in Daniel chapter 2. He saw, first of all, a head of gold, that was him. Then he saw uh, the chests and arms of silver, that's the Medes and the Persians, that's Cyrus. And he saw brass, that's Alexander the Great, the Grecian Empire. Then he saw the legs of iron. That's Rome, the Roman Empire. But then there's another part that few commentators talk about. And then he saw uh, two, two legs, a divided uh, empire. And then he saw ten toes. We have not yet seen the ten toes, but we're going to talk about those in subsequent weeks. Look, be on the horizon. Look on the horizon for some European federation of ten nations. And if you see that, Again, don't buy any green bananas. You know that the time's getting short. Folks, this, is wind, this thing's winding up. People say, well, uh, are we living in the last days? That's a, that's a no-brainer. You know why? Because Peter said on the day of Pentecost that, that we're living in the last days. He quoted the prophet Joel. He said, we're living in the last days. The book of Hebrews, 
He says, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. We're not just living in the last days. We're living in the last of the last days. I'm not setting dates. I'm not setting years, months. I'm just looking at the signs. And I'm telling you that this temple is going to be rebuilt. This third temple. And the, the zeal is there. The desire is there. And they've already trained, they're already training the Sanhedrin, the priest and everything, to be able to go through the, the rituals. Daniel predicted it. Jesus predicted it. Paul predicted it. We are seeing it in our lifetime. And sadly, the church has a kind of uh, an agnostic attitude toward it all. Oh, I've heard that all my life. My daddy preached that. My grandfather. That has no bearing on anything. You know, every generation is told to look for the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So even if Christ didn't come 100 years from now, he wants me to tell you he's coming. He's coming. I don't know the day or the hour, but he's... On my watch, I'm going to tell you the Lord's coming. I'm telling you. It could be today or tomorrow. I don't know. But he's coming. But you know what? None of us have the promise of tomorrow, do we? None of us do. None of us do. But we're all going to stand before God one day and give an account. I believe that everything in this Bible that has been predicted is going to come to pass. I don't understand it. I don't know how it's all going to happen, but I believe that it's going to happen just like it's been predicted. You can look at the condition of the church and know that we're in the last days. You can look at the church and see what a hot mess it's in and know that, that, that Christ is not going to put up with this much longer. He's not. So the real issue is, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord and personal Savior? Have you received Him? You, have you repented of your sin? Only a born-again person can look back to a time when they were not saved. If you can't look back to a time when you were not saved, you have every right to question. Now, I'm not saying when you get saved, you have it all together. But there is a time, my friend, when old things pass away and all things become new. My desires become new, my attitudes, my thoughts, my words. And it's serious, it's serious business. This is the one thing you don't want to leave to chance. I mean, you need to get this right. If you don't get anything else right, you need to get this right. You got, we got one life and one opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. Jesus died on a cross and paid for every sin that you would ever commit. You say, well, Henry, you don't know what I've done. doesn't matter. The blood of Jesus Christ will forgive every sin. Absolutely every sin. You say, well, I'm a good person. That, that doesn't matter. There is none truly good by God. God doesn't grade on a curve. God's standard is 100%. And the only person who's ever lived a perfect life is, is the Son of God. And here's the good news. This is the great exchange. I don't understand why more people don't take the deal. It's the greatest offer there is out there. Jesus said, if you'll come to me and give me your sin, I'll give you my righteousness. I'll pardon you. I'll take your sins as far as the east is from the west. And I won't remember it anymore. Would you stand?
right where you are in the quietness, stillness of your own heart, you can call on the name of the Lord and say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Send your Holy Spirit to live inside of me. I believe you rose from the dead on that third day. Be my Savior. Give me a new heart. And he'll do that. Believer, time is short. If you got a song, you need to sing it. If you got a sermon, you need to preach it. If you've got some witnessing to do, you need to be witnessing. Adam and I were talking after service last week, I think. And I think every... I, I'm not stealing your thunder here, but I just feel led of the Holy Spirit. I think every father and every husband needs to have a conversation with their family today or this week and just... Just have a talk with family. Remember when we used to talk to each other instead of staring at our phones? And just say, are you sure that you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I mean, that's a conversation that we ought to have. We talk about a lot of trivial things, don't we? This is the most important. With your grandchildren, your children, and say, do you, have you trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And if that answer is no, you don't have to call me. I'll be glad to talk to you and pray with you. But you can pray with your spouse, with your child, with your brother, your mom or dad or whoever. You can pray with them right where you are. And God will hear that prayer because you and I are the temple of God. And so we can call on him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you haven't had that conversation, it's time to have it. Time is short. It's winding up. If there's unfulfilled ministry, it's time to do it. If there's unconfessed sin, it's time to get it under the blood and ask God to forgive us. I'm not going to belabor the point. I'll invite you now. Would you come?